Welcome to The Great Conversation, where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas change cultures. Ideas can change the world. Um, I have been for some time now looking at the future of man and machine. I'm fascinated by it. I'm not afraid of it. I'm fascinated by it. I think we're, we're on the edge of something that is going to reset, if you will, the economy and our way of looking at truth in a unique way. Uh, and, I, and, and I look for, I'm very attentive to people who are on the edge of that. Not necessarily the bleeding edge, I would call it the leading edge. That is, they're finding practical uses for the state of the technology as, as it is today. And the other day, I had a wonderful opportunity to listen to a um, interview with Kirill Zubovsky, and I'm screwing up the name, I'm sorry, Kirill, but Kirill Zubovsky, and uh, who is the founder of something called Smarty Names. But more importantly, when <laughs> when I was listening to him, he was one of those gig workers on the road in his sprinter van going around the country. And I just love it because, you know, technology is freeing us up now to do amazing things without having to go to the office every day and check in with a micromanager. So I just love the fact we have this kind of state of the economy right now. And hopefully we're never going back to the old one, even though some CEOs are demanding it. But uh, Kirill, what what I, I just love to have you on the great conversation because let's talk about this exciting future ahead of us. Ron, thanks for having me. And definitely let's do it because the future is going to be amazing. And I think AI is going to boost it for us and make it so much faster and better. And uh, we can only imagine really where this is going. And uh, for me, by doing a little bit of it, by playing with it right now, that's kind of how I'm going to explore and to see just how we can bring it into our life. Well, I, I actually, I'm always fascinated by what I call the ideators, the people who are taking inputs, you know, with our sensors and everything, and we're we're collecting all this data, and then they ideate of what is possible. Uh, tell me how you do that. How do you ideate in today's world? That's a great question. I think it depends on who you are, you know, what, what your background. For me personally, I just try to focus on what I find interesting you know, what uh, curiosities that exist in front of me. And then I try to play with it and do something with it. Um, I really like doing things, uh, right? As opposed to sitting around and talking about something, I prefer to uh, jump in and, and build it and see what I can do. Uh, you know, instead of designing things, I just code things because then I can play with them. I can click on things. And that's how I ideate. Right. Now, let's, let's go to your original idea. You started thinking about, AI, you glommed on to a number of tools around AI. Tell me how you went through the process to come up with Smarty Names. Smarty Names was very spontaneous. And uh, honestly, the amount of attention it's gotten so far was very unexpected because I was just playing around. I needed a domain name and I thought, well, we've got this AI, all, all these cool tools coming out. What can I do to make it do the thinking for me? Uh, in in uh, in an old school domain way, uh, domain world, you'd sit around and think of well, what kind of keywords describe my business? You know, what what do I want it to be? And then go and search for those domain names, and that's very time consuming. And I don't have that time, so I wanted something that I can 
just explain my business to and go find some domain names that would be good enough. I wasn't looking for, you know, the perfect uh, four six letter domain name that rhymes that has English words in it. I just wanted something good enough that I can quickly put a project on, put it out there. And uh, I started building smarter names over the weekend where I thought, well, let me see what I can do. And actually, when I built the first prototype, which was good enough, I asked it to generate a name for me for a tool that would help people find domain names using artificial intelligence. And smarty names came up. And I bought the domain, uh, you know, the tool generated its own name. And then when that was done, I needed to build a website for it. So I asked it to generate a logo and I got a logo for Smarty Names using Smarty Names. Um, and that's kind of happened really fast over a couple of days, right? And, I, and after that, I've spent a lot of time iterating on the actual guts of the application to make sure it's better. Uh, and, um, you know, there's a ton of work left to be done of course it's just the beginning but uh, th but that's the answer to your question of how i think of ideas right i just pre prefer to dive right in and do something um, and it's so interesting because in my methodology i always look at market ecosystems they're kind of like a garden right they there there's different participants that all collectively add up to a marketplace and there are transactions of value going on in that marketplace. And what's interesting is you, you are bringing together a number of different existing participants in a marketplace called domain. So you have the domain generators, right? Mm -hmm. You have the fact that the domain generators are also, you know, glommed on a long time ago to, hey, I can help you build a website too. I can help you with email. I can help you with this and that and others. And so there's more than just a domain generator here. You also said, boy, if I can come up, if I can use AI to come up with the actual name, it can also create the website logo. It can also create the website content, can create blogs and newsletters associated with that website. You, you went through the whole market ecosystem to see if you could accelerate the path to value. That's right. And I'm already doing it for myself. So the entire Smarty Names blog is written by AI uh, in conjunction with me. And um, so, you know, I asked it for a template where I say, this is the blog post I want it. And that gives me something which is a great starting point. Sometimes I leave it there as a blog post. Sometimes I add my own content. Uh, but that means I can go from zero to a blog post within about 10 seconds as opposed to a couple of hours, which would normally take me if I were to write a blog post. And uh, right now, a lot of these things are not 100%, maybe 65% good, but that's actually good enough of a start uh, in terms of websites, for example, right? Once I have a title and a, and a blog content and an image, uh, I can index that on Google. And all of a sudden I have a hundred pages indexed and I haven't done any work. It's amazing. You know, tomorrow I'll go and make it better, but today it's already done. And I'm all about getting things done. Um, I remember in, uh, I once uh, toured Facebook and I had a sign in the early days uh, when uh, it said done is better than finished. Um, meaning that, you know, if you want to finish something, it could take you a very long time. But if you just want to be done with it, you can do it right now. It's, it's all up to you how fast you move through things. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's how I'm using AI for myself and I'm slowly going to bring it to the customers, right? So if you went to Smarty Names and you bought a domain, 
what often happens is people people had an idea for something, they bought a domain, and then they ran out of time, right? Well, that's silly because you bought it, you really were passionate about something you wanted to release into the world. So I'm going to help you put it out there really fast, even if it's imperfect, right? But if it's a business, if you want to sell something, um, and we can get you from zero to your website is running and you can actually sell stuff to people in five minutes, I think it's incredibly useful. And wherever you go right now, it never takes five minutes. You know, buying, buying a domain, getting your website paid for is really fast. Getting it actually launched is really slow. And I want to close that loop and make sure people can actually test the ideas really fast. Well, you, you just touched on a generational inflection point that actually most people don't realize. And that is um, many of us grew up with this old adage: measure twice, cut once, right? So mm -hmm. the idea is get it right the first time. Well, right. nice hypothesis, but your generation has challenged that. How about we do this? How about we get it out quickly and test the receptivity and then improve on it as we go, which was the Google thing you just mentioned. It was the idea that it's better to get to market fast than get it right and perfect. Get it out, get it received, get people playing with it. And suddenly 1.0 became much different than the 1.0 in past generations. Yep. And, you know, I think it's because uh, you have to be willing to be vulnerable if you wanted to get uh, your ideas out there fast. Because if you take a long time and make it perfect and put it out there, there's no guarantee it's actually right. Uh, but at least, and I know it's true for myself as well. You know, I'm, uh, I'm an engineer. So as an engineer, you tend to want to do things right. And I have a lot of brilliant friends who would spend days and weeks doing things right, only to see no results from it at the end. And it's painful. It, uh, it's actually kind of painful to release things quickly. But if it doesn't work, you know, oh, well, it hurt and you move along. But when it does, it's actually incredibly powerful and energizing. And then you use that energy to offset the negative energy that was caused by the painful experiences. Well, it's, it's interesting because, again, as you know, I've consulted with companies on their business models. And there's always a tension you have to navigate. And the tension is, if I don't put it out there right the first time, if I don't do, if I don't check off the list of how I retain the rights to this idea and create a competitive moat so no one jumps on it. You know, and I remember the old days when I went up against IBM, for example, you know, that there was an old saying that, Anybody choosing technology back in the day, uh, even if it wasn't the best technology choosing IBM, you couldn't get fired for. So IBM was a significant competitor because they had the brand name of being right, right? Being mm -hmm. true, being the best. And, uh, and so, so there are competitive threats to getting your ideas out quickly. Smarty Names comes out. It's out there now. What's to stop, you know, GoDaddy? from creating the same kind of thing. So tell me how you balance, which I agree with, you know, getting the one dot out quickly, getting receptivity, getting it off the ground. How do you balance that against competitive threats? 
I think it very much depends on the industry. You know, in, in your case, or say, well, say we're building airplanes, we probably don't want to push an airplane out there really fast, right? And hope for the best. Uh, in case of smarty names, if I make all of the mistakes in the world, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Nothing, right? It's okay. The domains aren't going to be very good. I'm not going to make a lot of money, but who cares? I can afford to make mistakes. Um, and maybe that's why it's also so attractive to me because it's, it's a domain, <laughs> pun intended, I guess, uh, where I could make mistakes. Um, so in terms of competitive pressure, uh, GoDaddy could certainly go out and do it tomorrow, but they have 6,000 people working for them. Uh, by the time they figure out which one of those 6,000 people gets to start working on it, I'll be so far away, uh, I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Uh, I've, uh, you know, and actually, you'll, f uh, I think you'll like this. Uh, I was invited on a call last week which, with great people who do domain investment as a business. And they've been doing it for a couple of decades. And I really enjoyed the conversation. But one of them said, well, how, you know, when you started Smarty Names, have you looked into this uh, methodologies that we use to pick great domain names? You know, how many letters, how it rhymes, is it written below keywords? And I said, no, I, like, I didn't even know it existed until two days ago. I just figured, well, how do I find a good domain name and just do that? And that actually really helped me. The fact that I was really naive about the space and I didn't know about existing technologies, uh, I could just invent whatever it is that seemed good to me. Um, and so the answer to your question in terms of competitors, I think there are certain businesses, uh, applications, whatever it is that you're trying to build, where you have to first build what your competitors are building before you can engage your users into, in other features. Uh, and then there's things like smarty names when I don't have to, because I'm not trying to offer any other features. You know, you can, I mean, I'm using an affiliate model where if you want your DNS provided, you go to DNS simple. If you want, you know, buy a domain, you go to GoDaddy, you go to name.com. I'm not doing any of that right now. I'm just simply doing the name finding. And eventually I'll start doing the website and logos and so forth. But those are the things that they aren't doing. So I'm not trying to compete with them. If, if anything, I'm augmenting what they already have with cool new tech. Well, what I also love about your approach, it says something for who you are. You started out with what you were, one, interested in. Two, you started off with improving your own experience. You didn't start off with, I want to figure out how to create a unicorn. Right. <laughs> right? Which seems to be the rage these days. How do I create a unicorn? And who knows, maybe one of your ideas becomes a unicorn one day, but it isn't what motivates you. No, and I wouldn't be able to do that if I be really honest. Uh, you know, if I wanted to create a unicorn, I mean, I'd go get a job at Google and just get paid really well and do what I'm told uh, because I think it's a different process of uh, sitting down and figuring out how to build something um, towards a certain goal. Uh, what I'm doing right now is more of a play approach, right? I get to play and I get to ask people how they interact with it and make it better. Yeah. But I'm not trying to be too serious about it. Right. If we truly are, and you've said this in the past, if we're truly at a app store moment, you, you've been quoted as saying that we're at an app store moment with AI, which is incredible because we don't have an app store for it yet. So who's going to create the app store for it? 
but mm -hmm. an app store moment. And it's intriguing as you, if you, if, if the executive community that I have is listening to this and, you know, and most of them are in already existing companies, you know, being run by CEOs with a mission and purpose. How can we take that attitude of an app store moment and begin to apply it to real world needs, not worrying about whether, you know, not, not looking for someone else to fulfill it, but actually beginning to innovate within my own sphere of influence using AI engines? Oh, that's a challenging question because we, we've talked about this culture problem, right? If you're in a big established company like IBM, there's very little you want to do wrong. You don't want to make a lot of mistakes, but AI is really new. And even the technologies are still changing and breaking. And even one of the APIs I'm using uh, you know, for Smarty Names keeps going out every couple of days, and which, which means when uh, the API is down, my service might be down. But I'm okay with that. If you're an IBM, you might not be okay with that. So I think part of it is you have to figure out where you're able to risk, uh, to take on the extra risk and do it there and accept that it will probably break, that you will be wrong, that you know there's gonna be issues and challenges and that's just what it is. Um, on the other hand, you can figure out where it is that you wanna be more competitive in the future and risk applying AI there because Steve Jobs said that before where you have to cannibalize yourself or somebody else will, right? So this is your moment. This is your moment to figure out just how you can cannibalize yourself before somebody else gets there. Um, and there, you know, it's hard, it depends on the particular business, of course, right? But there's a ton of technologies you can play with. You can apply a startup mentality where maybe you'll do 5% of your, um, new releases or, you know, your 5% of your customers will get access to the new tech where the rest will get the stable version. Uh, but if you don't do it now, somebody else will definitely do it for you. And then you'll have to acquire them for hundreds of millions of dollars. So, uh, you know, better start now. Yeah, I, uh, this idea of cannibalization has been around a long time. Steve did articulate it very well. Um, it's hard for people though to think in terms of cannibalizing the process. I have a lot of chief security officers who will be listening to this and security executives. And um, you know, if I ask them to cannibalize their services today, they who knows what direction they would go on, but it's, it's very much important that all executives, whether you're in HR, whether you're in security, whether you're in sales or operations, we begin to think about how we can basically, I hate the word disruption, but how we can basically re, rethink how we do things to achieve valuable outcomes. And sometimes it's not the outcomes we're generating today. They're different outcomes that need different procedures and different approaches. And uh, I think what you're showing us with Smarty Names and your approach is we can be doing that now. It just is a matter of dedicating resources to begin to play with it. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be risky. You know, if we're talking about security, obviously you don't want to screw up, right? But you can always set an instance of your process aside, which will double 
you know, and you apply new technologies to that and you can compare and see if it's doing things better, if you're learning something new. And in terms of bigger companies, if you want to find somebody, uh, I think the best way for you to start working with these technologies is find somebody within the companies who is willing to take the risk and to play, right? If I find somebody like me who will say, oh yeah, sure. You know, if you give me some time to go play, I'll go play. Mm-hmm. And uh, you definitely have those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead of trying to do it top down where you know the executive will sit down and figure out what that initiative is, maybe it's possible to just allocate some budget and say, if you're anywhere in the company and you wanna play, take, take a day this week and play and let us know what comes out of it. And you might get really surprised. Uh, uh, years ago, I was in the beginning stages of computer-aided design and manufacturing. And um, I'll never forget um, going up to one of the chief designers of one of my prospective customers. And the designer said, you see that cabinet over there? I lock my drawings in it every night. He goes, I'm not putting my drawings on that because everyone can get access to that. And I said, well, that's the whole point. He goes, yeah, but then that would get rid of me and my value to the company. And and so we have that kind of attitude with most new technologies, right? So for example, we're hearing with ChatGPT, I'm afraid my students are going to cheat. So fear seems to be the common phenomenon when it comes to new technology instead of embracing it. And I was saying I wanted to test this with you. If I was a teacher today, the best thing I could do to help them embrace the future and not be scared of technology is, it is create a new rule that says, for every assignment I give you, I expect you to go to ChatGPT. And I want you word for word to put it into your document and then show me how you improve on it and augment it and utilize it in a new and different way. And I, you know, why aren't we doing that instead of worrying about how to cheat off the, the old paradigm? So same thing with corporate ideas, right? How do we, how do we release people from the fear of not being successful? It's probably an age-old question, you know, and happens with all the new technologies. But that was a great example you brought with schools, right? Why aren't we doing that? Is because we have this ingrained idea of what school is supposed to be. Actually, uh, anecdotally, just at home yesterday, you know, I was chatting with my wife about this. My kids take uh, Chinese classes every night for four nights a week, and they were learning how to write. And my seven-year-old is writing beautifully and following instructions exactly like she's supposed to. And my five-year-old is just uh, squiggling lines in no particular order, but she's always the first one to finish her assignment, and she's very proud about it. My wife was, you know, a little concerned. She's like, well, She's not learning the right stroke. She's not doing it right. And I said, look, but, but she's learning how to beat everyone else and still deliver legible writing. It's not great, but it's legible. They know what she's doing, right? And so now she's faster, she's more successful, and she's still learning. So what's the problem? And going back to corporate, that's the same idea, right? Maybe you just need to start by looking at what you do differently, and accept that it's different for a good reason, uh, that you'll still be successful. You're just not going to be successful necessarily by the same KPIs you were using yesterday. Yeah. yeah years ago, I read a book on um, 
I forget the complete title. I think it was by Mark Anderson regarding the white space. And the, the hypothesis was that it's very difficult to innovate um, if something doesn't fit exactly within your current business model, right? So, so uh, in fact, uh, if any new idea that didn't fit the business model would be like a virus and the antibodies would be the existing business model from the CFO to the ops guy to the salespeople, they would all go and make sure that idea failed because it's mm -hmm. a paradigm, right? So he said, you have to create a white space off the grid, if you will, off the corporate grid to let them play in that idea until you got a working model that can then either be spun off or integrated back into the business. And it, it went to my, um, it, it went to some of the other learnings I had, lots of scars on my back. I remember uh, thinking, all I have to do is teach my employees the new system, which is different than the old system. And, and what I found is a lot of people would rebel because they had spent years learning and becoming adept at the old system. So they act as antibodies against the new idea. And that's why many CEOs, I think, go into a company and end up firing half the, the executive team because I don't think they can overcome their habitual indoctrination into the old idea. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And, you know, if we can, let's just talk about this for a minute, because look at Twitter, right? Elon Musk just took over Twitter, fired like 80% of the people who are working there. And yet Twitter is working just fine. Nothing is breaking. There's a lot of conversation. It's growing better than ever. You may or may not like how he did it, you know, or the conversations. But uh, holistically, if we look at it, it's still working just fine. And now he has that white space to actually innovate because now he can hire more people. And uh, people are not going to like that. But that's the reality of business, right? You can either slowly die or reinvent yourself and prosper. So which one do you want to do? And, and I think it's as simple as that. Of course, it's easy for me to say, here I am, you know, sitting by myself with a little company. I'm not in charge of trillions of dollars. But then we can also take Jeff Bezos and Amazon as an example. And that's where I think that idea of uh, two pizza teams, right, where uh, each team should be just, just small enough where I can consume two pizzas and still be satisfied. Uh, and they should work on like a co core concept. Uh, and if the concept gets too big where those that small group of people can't do it anymore they have to take that and split it where a new team takes over a part of that concept i think that's brilliant because that means everybody is dedicated to a particular subset that they're working on but they're going to do their best and they're not going to interfere with the rest of the ship so to speak right so if you want if you don't if you want those antibodies not attacking your idea they don't need to be part of it you can just find a group of four or five people who are able to deliver and with technology right now um i think especially in big companies where people tend to stay in work for many years again my generation is very different right we don't care if we work somewhere for three months and go somewhere else that's perfectly fine um but for bigger companies if you stay there for the last 10 years you have a predefined notion of what work is supposed to look like, how you're supposed to be part of it. And if somebody came in and destroyed it all tomorrow, it'd be very difficult and very painful. Uh, but part of that pain is necessary. And But to offset that pain, 
you know, if your small team takes on the small idea and tries to grow it, it's not going to be that challenging because your challenge is going to be fairly small. Uh, and I think maybe that's, that's a good way to start. Just find how you can use new technology in the ways to just improve your daily operations today, just, just a little bit, right? And that's enough. You don't have to promise to climb Mount Everest, but if you do something 5% better tomorrow, that's incredibly valuable. And if you're in a large company and half of the company just did something 5% better, that's billions of dollars overnight. Well, I have heard you say before, Kirill, that you shouldn't shoot for the moon. You should shoot for the roof. <laughs> yes. That sound familiar? Dave McClure, an investor, uh, used to say that shoot for the moon, but land on a roof. Uh, right? Just make sure that you set your expectations accordingly. And I thought that it's a good idea to do that, but you should actually start with shooting for the roof so that you can make incremental improvements in your own life. And financially speaking, it's a lot easier to do something bigger when you have something to start with. And, uh, and I think that applies to really everything where compounding interest adds up, all right? So if, if you just do a little bit better every day, um, then soon you're going to be incredibly better. So those of you who are listening, you probably got it from the beginning that we've already assumed something, that AI is here. It has pragmatic uses. It can be applied in uh, a number of different areas, and it's waiting for an app store. And there are people like Carol who are not waiting for that store to be created, and they're starting to put things on the shelf. And so, Carol, I wish you the best of luck. We'll have to uh, touch base with you in a, in, a, in a while to see where you go next with Smarty Names and with your ideas. But I got to tell you, I can't think of a, a nicer and better person to be in, in the midst of this whole generational stream. So thank you. Thank you, Ron. It's been great.